0: The following is a presentation of Genesis. Genesis is a place where you are invited to begin, belong, and believe. To find out more, visit us on the web at genesisthejourney.com.
1: One of the things that we've been uh, talking a lot about over the past few months is uh, ultimately what is God doing here in the Genesis community. And uh, Genesis is now about two years old. Uh, Our history has been, we started as a Bible study, actually in my house, uh, myself, and uh, about five other people. And uh, we did that for the better part of a year, and then uh, God just continued to grow this community into what we see it is uh, today. Uh, but one of the questions we've been asking uh, over the past year, actually, is, God, do you want Genesis to be a standalone church? Uh, and Genesis is part of a church called Hope Christian Church. This is Hope Christian Church where we're actually meeting, Um, and we're asking the question, Genesis and Hope Christian Church, is it time for Genesis to be sent out and planted as a separate, as a standalone uh, community? And um, uh, two weeks ago, I uh, asked a friend, Yifong, uh, to come up and share a little bit of his story of how he came to be part of the Genesis community and really went from just kind of showing up at a weekly event on Sundays... Uh, to really being fully engaged uh, with all that God's doing and engaged relationally with people here. And uh, tonight, uh, before we continue on with worship and uh, head into the message, I wanted to interview another friend of mine, uh, and I want to bring up Jennifer Bates. So please say hello to Jennifer Bates, if you would. Come on, you can be a little more louder than that, seriously. Thank you, Noah. Yes. Um. And, Jennifer, how are you? Good. Good? Good. Um, Jennifer, just quick faith story. Just give us a, a, the two-minute version, so to speak, of how you came to know God and, uh, and your faith background.
2: Yep. So I grew up in a church um, in a Christian family, and um, when I was about five, I remember praying to accept Jesus, although my mother has no recollection of it, so I'm not sure exactly where it happened. Um And just sort of continue to grow. A lot of people who grow up in a church say that there was a moment when their faith really became their own. And I never really felt like I had one defining moment, although certainly through middle school and high school, had some challenging things in my life that really um, sort of forced me to think about what it meant for me to rely on God.
1: Um, I met you summer of 2006? Yep. Okay. So just give us a a quick story, so to speak, of how you came to Genesis and how you even heard about it and just... uh, where you sit tonight in terms of your involvement and your role within the community, things like that.
2: Okay, so um, the first time I came to Genesis, I was invited by two friends of mine who were guys who were checking out all these different Bible studies, and I told them to invite me to the one that had the most cute single guys. I'm not one of the five newly engaged couples, so clearly that hasn't worked out well for me, but um, so I came, it was the first time it was at your house. (laughs) And I remember thinking, man, they need more chairs, because <laughs> it was sort of overflowing. And that summer, I traveled quite a bit. I just graduated from grad school and was sort of doing some traveling, looking for a job, trying to pass my nurse practitioner boards. So it didn't really sort of start coming regularly until the fall, at which point Genesis was really more of a Bible study. There was no worship. It wasn't considered an actual service. And so it was pretty easy for me to keep going to sort of two different churches. I had the church I went to on Sunday mornings, which I was more involved with. And then I came to Genesis on Sunday nights. Um, I sort of continued to come and started to get more involved just with things that were happening and get to know more people. Um, This fall, I sort of picked up a few more responsibilities. I'm on the task force that's investigating Genesis possible research Planning. And I'm also part of the Life Group team, which is the team that sort of oversees all of our Life Group.
1: Jennifer grew up uh, her entire life going to one church um, and I wanted you to kind of just speak to um, what was it like going to one church your whole life and being involved uh, because as you just shared uh, over the past two years, you've gotten more and more involved in Genesis. I mean, uh, the two things she mentioned, by the way, Uh, those are huge responsibilities in terms of uh, helping to oversee our life group communities. And then obviously, it's a huge responsibility uh, to be part of the task force. So uh, she has really immersed herself and um, is really being engaged with all things (laughs) happening within Genesis. So thank you for doing that. But uh, for a long time, you were part of two communities and very involved, actually. She did a lot of overseas missions trips uh, going to Africa, Uh, and was also doing a lot of uh, things with youth uh, working with middle school kids, so you were very involved in one community, very growing involved in another community, so what was it like being part of two communities, some of the challenges and struggles there yep.
2: so when I moved back to the Boston area after graduating from college, I went back to the church that I had grown up at, got involved with youth ministry for three years, and then became very involved in um, the group that does that sort of oversees the work that we that the other church does in Africa and At the point when I started coming to Genesis, I had just come off of my three years um, doing youth ministry and was sort of taking a little step back from that, looking for a full-time job, and sort of had a lot of transitional things in my life, and so it was very nice to sort of have a community that I came to that I wasn't really, had no responsibilities at. Um, But sort of as my desire to be involved in Genesis grew, I really felt sort of torn between the two different communities and felt like I wasn't really present fully in either one because I sort of always have my other church in my background. Um, I think one of the other big struggles for me was that as I became more involved in two communities, it meant a lot of time sort of an upkeep of those relationships and, you know, always being in two places on Sundays. And one of the things that I found was that I didn't have a lot of time to spend with people who weren't part of those communities. Um, I have some friends who are non-Christians who I sort of try to make a very concerted effort to spend time with. I don't want my life to be all about church, but I found that I was having harder and harder time to make time for those people because I had so many responsibilities at the two churches that I was going to.
1: Uh, I think it was this past summer uh, you came to me, and I remember meeting with you for a little bit, and you said, uh, I'm in, uh, which translated me that uh, um, this is my church home, uh, meaning Genesis, that, uh, and I wanted Jennifer just to share uh, kind of what was the process that led to because we're talking about uh, Jennifer being involved at a church uh, her whole life, minus uh, four years uh, or so while she was uh, going to uh, to school in the Chicago area. So uh, what was the process like? Uh, obviously, I imagine it was painful experience or just uh, challenging. I mean, what was the process that led you to make the decision, I need to say, this is going to be my community?
2: Yeah. So it certainly wasn't a short process or an easy process. Um, I think one of the hardest things for me was that um, – for me, it felt a lot like leaving security because I was leaving the church that I'd grown up in, and the you know the buildings that I knew the inside and out of, and where I'd been around long enough that I knew sort of all the back history and all the people who've been there for twenty years, and they all knew me. And so to sort of say this is not going to be my primary church home anymore was very hard, and it was hard to say um, I'm going to sort of I'm going to make a break with that. One of the things that really got me thinking about sort of The need to do that was when we started talking about Genesis church planning. And I sort of said, wow, if Genesis church plans, what does that mean for me? Because church planning is sort of big and takes a lot of work. And I don't think I have enough energy or time to be involved with two different churches if one of them is church planning. And, you know, I can't, I don't, I need to sleep at night. So, (laughs) um, so I think that was part of the process for me, it really got me thinking about sort of, I really need to decide. I need one of these places to be um, sort of my home and what I consider my church. Um, but it definitely wasn't a short process. Like we said, I started coming in like the fall of 2006 and we're now sitting in you know, November of 2008. So, and it wasn't until this summer that I really made the decision. So it probably took a year and a half
1: What's been the difference? I mean, I know it's a, a fresh decision in terms of the last four or five months, but what, in terms of just saying this is going to be my community, that uh, it's going to be my home where I want okay. to invest and be invested in, um, what differences have you seen?
2: So I would say the two major things is one is the freedom to serve and to say yes to things that are about Genesis because I know that this is my church. And so when people ask me things about Genesis, I feel much freer to say yes to things. And the second thing is that I have a much greater sense of ownership so what happens on Sunday nights and what, hap- you know, what the room looks like or when Genesis does other things, how our life groups are doing, that all reflects on me because this is my church. And so I think for me that's a big thing too, just um, that I have a much sen- bigger sense of ownership about what Genesis is doing and who Genesis is.
1: Uh, One of the reasons I uh, was excited to have Jennifer share her story with you is because I know specifically that there's a lot of you who uh, can relate to Jennifer's story, meaning you have another church that you go to on Sunday mornings, and you might be invested with that church throughout the week, and then you come on Sunday nights uh, to Genesis because um, why ever you come? Uh, and my heart, especially as we're going forward with church planning, uh, is to encourage you to be in one place and to be fully there. And if it's not Genesis, that would, I would be sad because I'm excited about what God's doing, and I, I want you to be part of that. But I'm more excited for you to ask the question, God, where are you calling me to be, and then be fully present. Uh, so that you can uh, be fully engaged with that community. And uh, I I like the word investment, that you will invest all of yourself into that community and then allow that community to invest uh, themselves fully into you. And so I don't know how many people here uh, have a different uh, church uh, home or a church that they go to, uh, but one of the things I wanted Jennifer uh, to give her an opportunity is what encouragement, maybe advice or exhortation would you give to people who are currently where you used to be for the better part of two years?
2: So, as I sort of reflect on my experience of going to two churches, I think one of the things that sort of stopped me from making a decision sooner was that I was really being selfish. I said, this is what I want to do, and this serves my needs, Um, and it wasn't really about serving the church that, or the churches that I was a part of, Um, and so I would say that in the long run, I think going to two churches is not sustainable, and I had people tell me that when I started going to two churches and I didn't really listen to them. (laughs) And two years later, no, you didn't, but I had other people. I had several other people tell me that and I didn't really listen to them because I wanted to do it. So I did. And sort of in the long run, it's not sustainable um, to go to two churches and really be fully invested and fully involved. And so I would encourage you to start praying about where God wants you to be and praying about where you can be involved and invested and, and pick, and it's not an easy decision, and I would never say that my decision was easy, but I think it's a necessary decision, um, and that it really allows you to sort of be fully involved and be fully invested, and that's not to say that you can't still go to your other church. I still go to my other church probably one Sunday out of the month, because I still know a lot of people there, but it definitely isn't where I choose to spend my time or my energy um, as far as serving.
1: Jennifer, thank you. If you guys give Jennifer just a a round, that would be great. Uh, Next uh, Sunday, uh, this is um, uh, every Sunday when you guys come in, we put these cards intentionally on your seats for a reason is because we want you to use your voice into this church planting process. And um, so use it to uh, write down questions, maybe ideas, uh, concerns, uh, any of those types of things. Uh, And the task force that Jennifer and I are part of uh, with seven other people, some from Hope Church, some from Genesis... Uh, are taking a look at these questions and coming up and thinking through answers and such. Uh, but next Sunday, uh, very important that uh, you come back because this is the first time we're coming to you as the community to say, we need to know where you guys are at. Uh, if Genesis is to church plant uh, sometime in the spring of next year, summer of next year, sometime in 2009, is this something that uh, you would be excited to to be part of? It's not decision day that, yes, I'm totally, fully in just need to get a sense of where are we as a community of people? Um, Are you sensing that uh, this is something that you really would like to be part of? uh, And that's going to be helpful to our process of, God, uh, you know, what are you doing ultimately with all of us? Not just a few of us, but the totality of our community. Are you speaking a similar message to all of us? So uh, that's next Sunday, and it will be a simple question. If Genesis Church plants, is that something that you'd like to be part of? Yes or no? Uh, And we're going to do that next week. So uh, there will be no online voting. There will be nothing like that. You've got to be here uh, to cast a, a yes or no uh, ballot type of a thing, and uh, we'll keep you involved in the process as we go. Hey, let me uh, continue. Just pray for us, and then we're going to stand and do some more worship. Um, so, Father God, we thank you so much for uh, what you are doing in our midst, and uh, Father God, thank you for Jennifer and her willingness to share her story uh, with us uh, tonight and uh, Father, we are excited to, to gather uh, as a community uh, just to let you know uh, that we think uh, you're great and that we love you. And so, Father, as best as we possibly can, uh, we want to do that through song. We want to do that through taking a look at your story, uh, the scriptures, uh, Father God. So be present, be large in our midst tonight, uh, so much so that any any stress, any worries, any anxieties, any fears, any doubts that we have, we could literally just cast those to the side in this time, in this place, in this moment, and just enjoy uh, worshiping you and connecting with you. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in the midst of a series called Jesus, and uh, we are slowly uh, working and walking our way through uh, the gospel of Mark. Uh, Last week, Jeremy Alexander was here to share. Thank you very much, Jeremy, for uh, sharing. Uh, And tonight, I'm excited to introduce um, a good friend of mine, David King. He is uh, the youth pastor here at Hope Christian Church, and uh, he's going to be sharing uh, tonight. Uh, on a skateboard, apparently, Um, uh, from uh, the Gospel of Mark. And I'm excited because the title of his message is uh, Tap In or Tap Out. And if you're a fan of mixed martial arts, uh, you'll know exactly what that means. So uh, let me pray for David, and uh, I'm excited to hear how God will speak through him to us tonight. Father God, I pray to that end that you would use David, your servant, uh, a man who uh, has a heart uh, for you, God, would you please use him tonight just as your mouthpiece to speak to us, to encourage us, to challenge us, Uh, and more than anything, just use him tonight to make a big deal about Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Uh, So Father, would your hand of favor of blessing and goodness uh, be upon David, and I pray tonight as a community, uh, the Genesis community, that we would be excellent at not just listening to what David would have to say, but uh, more importantly, what you would have to say to us in this place tonight. And Father, not only would we just listen, but we would be people ready to respond and live very differently because you spoke to us in this place tonight. So I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. amen.
0: So uh, tonight, I just want to ask, uh, raise your hand if we got some skaters in the house. Who's the skaters? Any skaters? No? no who used to skateboard? Anybody skateboard? When, all right, that's better. All right, so... Here's the thing, a couple weeks ago, I never skateboarded in my life, a couple weeks ago, uh, B, you guys, know the guy who scratches sometimes up here, he left his skateboard, and so I'm fooling around on it all uh, for like two weeks, and then finally, uh, my buddy John Emery actually builds me my own skateboard, and I'm like, no way, that's awesome, so I start skating and, you know, in my free time, uh, actually, that's what I do for a job, they, that's why I'm in the basement, so I can skate anytime I want and not do work, but... I was uh, just learning how to do some tricks, and so some people taught me, and um, I was thinking about uh, what do I want to do, how far do I want to take this, and so at first, I was just looking goofy. Some of you may have seen me back there, and when I started, I couldn't do this. I, oh, I, that wasn't a very good ollie, but. So as you can see, I'm still a work in progress, but here's the thing. I'm only going to go so far on the skateboard. I'm not going to go... Uh, like some crazy people off 13 flights of stairs I might venture to someday but not like 13 trying to jump off my wife's up here shaking her head no you're not Um, and another thing this summer I went home right and I uh, I love to do flips I love to dive I'm adventurous I love to do crazy things and so um, I've always been good at flipping and so in the pool off the diving board I'm learning, I'm like, all right, am I just going to go home? Is this going to be another boring summer of one and a halfs and a backflip with a full twist? I've got to venture out and do something different. So I was like, all right, here's my goal. I'm going to master a double front, and I'm going to master a double back, and I'm going to try an, a, a one-and-a-half gainer. And so I got two out of the three. I can't do the one-and-a-half gainer yet, but uh, I mastered the other two, and I was like, I think I'm good there. I think there's only a certain level of risk that I'm willing to go. How many cliff jumpers? Any cliff jumpers in here? All right. We, we have, I got to give a shout out to some people over here who's jumping off 40 foot cliffs and, you know, never done it before. It's a pretty brave thing to do, uh, but that's, you know, I guess I'm above them. My level is a little higher than theirs. I like to do gainers off of 40 foot cliffs, but I also have my levels. So here's the point. I have a certain level of risk that I'm willing to go. We all have certain levels of, uh, uh, or certain heights that we want to reach, certain uh, accomplishments that we want to do. Before we stop, before we become content. Skateboarding, mine's a little lower than John Emery, right? Or anybody else who masters skateboarding. But my question to you tonight is, how's your Christian walk? If you don't know Christ, I hope by the end of the night, something is different in the way that you look at Christ. But you still have heights that you want to reach, and you'll become content at some places. And so I want you to think about that tonight as we go through this. And uh, we're going to talk about, I don't even know what a safe prayer life, a safe Christian life looks like. I don't even know what a risky safe or a risky Christian life looks like or a Christian walk. So I can, I can say that, uh, that I have certain levels, you have certain levels, but I don't even really know what it looks like because I think it's different in everybody. Um, but tonight we're going to look at Jesus and we're going to look at some of his uh, a prayer life, the prayer life of Jesus, and then uh, how the power of God was unleashed. Um, on some other people, but particularly uh, someone who was real sick, had leprosy. So uh, I'm going to jump right in, and uh, we're going to take a look at Jesus and read um, the first passage, starting in uh, chapter 1, verse 35. Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you and he said to them let us go on to the next towns that i may preach there for that is why i came out and he went throughout all galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons have any morning people in the house raise your hand if you're a morning person bless you true followers of christ right there how many night people do we have in the house you guys i asked the lord would forgive you because you don't know what you're doing how many excused people? Like what? What does that mean? Excused? How many people? Your day looks like this. I can't get up early in the morning because I already get up early enough for work, and I can't get up any earlier because then I'll be tired throughout my whole day. Maybe I could do it at lunch. I could do it at lunch, but then you meet up with a coworker and eat lunch with a coworker, so you're like, "Oh, that's out of the picture." And then you're like, "Oh, I know what. I'll do it after work." So I get home five o'clock, and I'm like, "Man, I need to spend some time." Oh wait, I haven't eaten dinner. Man, I'm getting hungry. Let me eat dinner right? And then you're like, all right, after dinner, oh no, Lost is on. 24 is back. That's what I'm excited about. Um, your show comes on, right? Your favorite show, whatever it is. And you're like, all right, I'll do it after the show. 11 o'clock comes around and you're like, man, I need to go to bed or I'm not going to be able to function tomorrow. That's an excuse person. How many excuse people in the house? <laughs> we got a few of them. That's funny. Uh, we all probably have those excuse days sometimes. Um, but what's, what's the point? Uh, there's a 17th century guy. Uh, named Brother Lawrence, wrote a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. And it's a, a collection of letters, and it basically describes his relationship uh, and how, his closeness with God. It's, it's really uh, an awesome book. And um, so he uh, explains in one of his letters that there's no difference. His communion with God is so close. There's no difference between when he's washing the dishes or when he's actually on his face in prayer. And I'm thinking, washing the dishes is about as far away from God as I get, I think. But, I mean, that his, his communion was so constant. It was so in tune with God that even when he was washing dishes, he was there. So, it's good to be at that place, but we can't overlook what Jesus is doing here. And that's taking that time for solitude with God. There's a quote that I read. Um, that uh, is pretty powerful. It's by a guy named Don Wilhelm. And this quote says, Danger arises when we ignore the vitality, grace, humility, and power that are offered to us by God in solitary encounters with the divine. I'm going to read that one more time. Danger arises when we ignore the vitality, grace, humility, and power That are offered to us by God in solitary encounters with the divine. That's a powerful quote. We can't overlook. We need those times. We must rely on God. So what is Mark saying in in bringing up this uh, passage about Jesus' prayer life? What is he saying? Uh, In the first passage, um, he's saying Jesus went out, and I like to ask questions. I like to put myself in the story as much as I can. Jesus went out to a desolate place. What what, What does he mean? Where did he go? Well, the actual word that is used here uh, of a desolate place is the same as the desert when he, uh, the spirit draws him out to the desert to be tempted. So some suggest that uh, some authors that I read suggested um, that it may be because Jesus is actually tempted again. And if we remember, or if you weren't here last week, last week, Jeremy talked about the big show. Jesus went to Capernaum, or Capernaum, however you say it and healed all kinds of people he was the man and let uh let's think about hebrews and says that uh we have a great high priest who can sympathize with has been tempted in every way but was without sin he's the man at this point was it possible that he was tempted i won't say no he may have been tempted i'm the man i'm you know I'm, i'm the big show so maybe he was drawn out maybe it was the same spirit right but we don't know um but the point is, uh, he may have been drawn out to be tempted. And it's funny because I, I, um, I think about when you try to spend time with God. I don't know if this happens to everyone like it does to me, but it seems like it happens to me all the time. I try to spend time with God, even if I haven't spent time with God all week. I'm like, all right, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to make this time for God. And as soon as I do, the phone rings. Or somebody comes over that hasn't come over in like, uh, that I haven't seen in like two years. And I'm like, what are you doing? I'm trying to spend time with God. I mean, I know that happens. We just get totally distracted by people, whatever, whatever it is. I mean, I'm in the Fleming's house. Maybe it's the smoke alarms going off, and I'm like in intense prayer, and it's like, evacuate the building, right? No, but, I mean, somehow we're always distracted by something. And Jesus, when he, when he goes out there and he prays, he's distracted. These people are like, man, the big show, what are you doing? Why are you out here by yourself? These people are looking for you. They want you to keep healing, keep working miracles, and uh, so, anyway, I just thought that was uh, funny because that happens to me a lot. And so, I'm asking another question. Why did he leave uh, Capernaum in the first place? He started out in Galilee, if you'll remember, in, in the beginning of Mark. When he started out and when he started preaching, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, he goes to Capernaum next. And what he says, um, or w- uh, when he gets there, he starts healing, he starts casting out demons, breaking all kinds of boundaries. I mean, he healed Peter's mother in law. Uh, which was totally, you know, gender barrier. Uh, he broke that. He was casting out demonic forces. I mean, it was crazy. And so why did he leave in the first place? And my thought on why he left is because the people didn't understand. They thought it was a big show. They thought Jesus was nothing but a show. Chris Angel type, right? He was just a show. They didn't understand who he was. And... uh it's funny, I was, I was thinking about living a risky life and, and having a risky prayer life and what that looks like, and I was like, is that what, ha- is that what happened to America? Because I had a conversation this, this past week about somebody who actually was physically healed in another country, like leg grew longer, and I was like, why don't we see that stuff? It's so rare. In other countries, literal demons are still being cast out. We think it's just in the Bible, but it's not. It still happens. Is that what happened to America? Did God just become a big show to us? Now I'm not here up, you know, just to condemn the United States, but I'm I'm just asking. We're a part of it. Maybe we should look at our prayer lives. Are we living risky lives? Are we are we praying risky prayers? Are we praying that God would bring us out of our comfort zone and go next door? I mean, these people are going to places who got knives and spears and guns and killing children trying to share the gospel and again i'm not i'm not trying to condemn anybody i'm just saying what kind of life are we living it's got to show or are we really understanding who he is Um, but the bottom line of jesus's prayer life is this of, of what mark is trying to show to us we cannot underestimate or or pass over the pursuit of god james 4 8 says draw near to god and he will draw near to you I was, as I was reading, the context of James 4 is awesome. It's about humility. It's about complete and utter, like, submission, right? Get rid of yourself, and it talks about prayer. It talks about uh, you don't ask. and When you do ask, you ask with wrong motives. And we can't overlook the fact that Jesus is taking that time not only to ask or do whatever he says in prayer, but he's taking that time to get his strength and to rely on God. And I don't know even what it means when you go spend time with God. I don't even know um, how you know. You hear some people say, the presence of God is there, right? I, feel the pre- I felt the presence of God, and he, he just showed up. My wife says, I swallowed loud. So I had to keep that under control. Um, but I don't know what it looks like For how you feel the presence of God Or how you know God's voice But we can learn something from Jesus When he came out of this prayer Let's look at what he said In verse 38 He said to them Let us go to the next towns That I may preach there For that is why I came out he, we, not, we may not know how or what happened But we know that when he left he was refocused. His mind was solely centered on Christ. You may not be completely clear on what your career job or your mission in life is going to be when you go to spend time in prayer. And I, In my own life, I spend time getting so frustrated. I'm like, uh, I'm trying to do work at, at church and I'm trying to get things done and I'm like, gosh, this is so frustrating. I have so many things to do, I can't do any of it. I'm never going to get it all done. When... You know, especially studying, like it. Sometimes my mind is just dumb, and I don't get stuff, and so it takes me a long time. And I'm, I realize I've completely left God out. And the point isn't that we would uh, have a new understanding of what God, how God speaks to us, because it's in different ways to everyone, I'm sure. But how do you know you've been with God? You leave that prayer time or, or whatever, and your heart is right. And you know what you're called to do. He was called to preach. He was called to serve the Lord. What do you, I mean, what are you called to do? Are you just called to serve your family? You know, he just came out clear. And his heart was centered. His mind was, they were together. They were focused. Um, as, as soon as he, uh, they, they, the, the crowd, Peter and Simon and, uh, James, who was with him, James? I forgot who's with him. Not, it just says Simon and everyone who's with him. So Simon and everyone who's with him, the crowd, right? Well, as soon as he they go get him, and they say, "Look, everybody's looking for you." And he wakes, or he gets up, and he tells them, "All right, let's go." That's what I came out to preach for. Uh, he goes to back to Galilee, and he starts casting out demons and starts uh, preaching again. Repent! The kingdom of God is at hand. He starts immediately unleashing the power of God on demonic forces on the cultural boundaries on whatever it is he's unleashing God's power God is using him he's working through him he didn't ignore the vitality the grace the power that was offered to him by God in that moment in his solitude We don't know how long he was there. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So the power of God is unleashed on these people immediately. But one specific story that we want to look at tonight is a leper. And the leper, uh, I'll read this passage, verses 40 through 45. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See to it that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer... Openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. What does a leper's life look like? Is it a normal, somebody in a wheelchair, somebody crippled, somebody that we, some, is it like what we see now? No. Leviticus 13, 45. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes. And let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, uncle-. I don't know what that means, cover his upper lip. I don't know if he's making faces with people. Unclean, I don't know. But the point is, he's got to shout and let people know that he's unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease, he's unclean. He shall live alone and his dwelling place shall be outside the camp. Duh. no wonder Jesus had pity on him. I mean, this is sad stuff. Like, completely outside the camp, couldn't be around anybody. And when he did, he's got to run up and down, I'm unclean, right? I mean, how would you feel? You're cast out. You're completely uh, abhorred by everybody in the culture. You're lonely mentally, physically. I mean, can you imagine what this guy's life was like? It doesn't say whether he was a leper his whole life or he's had a, a year or two. But can you imagine? Go two days with that, living by the law. I mean, that's crazy. The law actually uh, of the law. This part was established to understand God's holiness. Why were just like food? Some certain foods were unclean certain people and diseases were unclean, God was trying to establish and help us understand, or help people of the Old Testament understand what holiness was. That it could have absolutely nothing to do with dirt and filth. Light can have absolutely nothing to do with dark. And that's why it was such a serious law. Um, So... We know what his life was like. What did he do? He pursued Jesus anyway. He pursued him anyway. He runs through the crowd. It doesn't even say if he hollered unclean. Maybe he just was being a rebel and just wanted to run through and and just get to Jesus. He didn't care. But he pursued him. And Jesus responded. How did he respond? It says with pity. Some versions may say compassion. Some may even say anger. The the actual tone of the passage, some will relate it to later when when Jesus sternly charges him and says, go to the priest and obey the law. Some may relate that tone and say he was angry. What was he angry at? He could have been angry at the actual force of darkness, the, the spiritual darkness that causes that disease. Maybe he was angry at that. Maybe because of the guy's life and what he knew he had to live by, maybe it was compassion. But regardless, he was pursued and G- or Jesus was pursued and Jesus responded. Matthew, Luke, and Mark all record this part, though. Jesus' response was He reached out and he touched them. And he said, I, I'm willing. Be clean. It's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. Not only would not only would people uh, not touch him, but it, was, it would just be almost, I mean totally disgraceful for who claimed Jesus claimed to be to, to do that. And he reached out and he touched him. And the power of God affected the leper, affected uncleanness. It, affle- it affected the darkness. The darkness didn't affect God's power. It wasn't the other way around. And so he says, "Be clean." And I think Jesus had a pretty good understanding of, of this lever. He read him pretty well. Some of us are good at reading people. Um, I don't think I am. But I think Jesus had a pretty... Look at me. I'm, bringing ris- I'm being risky right now. Bringing red Gator- Gatorade up to the, to the front. Any uh, pastor I've ever seen come up to preach always has water. And I brought red Gatorade. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a rebel. Um... So Jesus reaches out, he touches this guy, he says, you're clean. And uh, I think what he's trying to do is he's trying to establish that love is sovereign over the law. Because the law, he's supposed to go to the priest and be cleaned before Jesus had to heal him. I mean, he wasn't supposed to do anything, he wasn't supposed to be around people. Jesus said, I'm going to heal you. Some of you may know that he healed on the Sabbath, just earlier we read he healed on the sabbath he's trying to show that love is sovereign over the law but it's cool because he didn't come to he didn't abolish the law because he told the he told the uh the leper he said go to a priest anyway i'm i'm healing you but i'm not considering you clean so go to the priest and make yourself available to be publicly declared clean um The charge charge that he made to the leper is is hard to understand. So I'm not going to focus much on it. And Jeremy covered last week, he talked about uh, why that he spoke to the demons in in the earlier passage about being quiet. Why he spoke to this leper and said, be quiet. I'm not going to go into that. But the bottom line is he told him to obey the law. He told him to obey it. Go to a priest. So what was this guy's response? He was supposed to go and obey the law. What was his response? At first sight, this guy looks like he he has a lot of faith. Or his response was to go tell everybody. And we look back at this story, and we think, as a whole... This guy looks like he's got incredible amount of faith because he walks up to Jesus and he says, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus is thinking in his mind, why? How do you know? Was it because you saw me heal 37 other people and cast out 14 demons? How do you know that I can make you clean? It reminds me of a very similar story that, uh, is a, about a centurion and his sick servant. It's in Matthew chapter 8. And the centurion walks up to Jesus and he says, If you will, you can make my servant healed. And again, you ask, you know, how do you know? Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. But he says, If you will, you can make him clean. It's the same thing as, as the leper said. What happens? Jesus says, all right, let's go. I'll come to your house. We'll go heal this. We'll go hear your servant. And this guy says, absolutely not. <laughs> He's like, I don't even deserve you have to have you come under my roof, right? Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. Just say the word. And it still looks very similar. What's the difference between the two stories? Again, I think Jesus had a good read on this leper. He didn't understand who Jesus was. The story of the centurion, how did he start? He said, Lord, if you will, you can heal my servant. Lord, if you will, you can heal my servant. Now, Jesus responded to both. But do you understand? Who is Jesus to you? I mean, it's funny, I can't come up here and talk about this without seriously doing soul searching. And I'm up here to proclaim a witness that Jesus Christ is Lord to me. Are you just coming to church? Or are you just being a part of who Jesus is because you see him working in other people's lives because you see the show? How do you know Jesus is Lord? Is he real to you? How do you know? How do you know? It reminds me of another story, and, and this carries it on into the next part of, of what the, uh, the leper did. Daniel chapter 3 is a story about uh, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, who built this huge, outrageous uh, image of gold. And he says, everybody's going to come check out my image and see my creativity, and they're uh, going to or they're gonna bow down and they're going to worship it. So everybody comes, right? Everybody comes out, and a couple of my students are here from the youth ministry probably thinking, dude, you talk about this story all the time, and I do. It's a phenomenal story. I love it. There's so much different things to to think about and to teach on. But the point is, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they go. Everyone else in the whole entire place bows down except those three. And they say, all right, what's the consequences for not worshiping this idol? You're going to get thrown in the fire. And they say, okay, take us to the fire. We're not going to worship. And he's like, all right, we'll give you one more chance. You can bow down right now. And we won't throw you in the fire. And they say, listen, if he will, our God can save us from this fire. But even if he doesn't, we're going to obey and we will not worship another God. Because we know who Jesus Christ is. And that's, who, that's the God we serve. We believe in him. If he's willing, he can. But regardless of whether he does or not, we're going to be obedient. And the leper didn't understand that. He went about his business and, and did his own thing. And went to tell everybody now here's the thing at this point it sounds like the leper has a bad rap can you blame him whether whether he's been clean a year or, or his whole life can you blame the man he had leprosy I mean think about the, the the I almost think about what he went through can you blame the man for being excited and wanting to go tell everybody I mean what happens when something good happens in your life? You're like, "Man, let me tell, let me make phone calls to people I haven't talked to in a year. Let me tell them what's going on. I got a new job. I got a new house." How excited are we to tell? This man was cured of leprosy. He was cured of loneliness. He was cured. He was no longer an outcast. Can you blame him? I'm not saying that it's okay sometimes to be disobedient. But there's it's funny that he He may have been a better evangelist than you and I are, but he didn't even understand the truth. He didn't even understand it. Why did the leper disobey? Why did he go and tell everybody? and this is the question that I want to hit home with you tonight. He knew. What he was saved from. Do you have any idea what you've been saved from? Any idea? The power of God in Mark has been unleashed on the forces of darkness. Completely unleashed on cultural boundaries. Jesus has stepped out and shown love over what should be the law. It's radical. A lot of people probably thought he was a freak. He was crazy, but he's doing all kinds of amazing things. He's healing people. Has the power of God been unleashed in your life? Do you understand what you've been saved from? Is it just what you see? Some of us may have been healed. Some of us may have had battles with certain uh, sins like sexual sin or like drugs or whatever. But he saved us from sin. Every one of us deserves hell. Every one of us deserves punishment. We don't deserve anything. But he's conquered that. And I'm standing up here as a witness saying that Jesus Christ in my life has unleashed the power of God. And I'm free. And I'm saved from my sin. Do you under, we had a prayer watch the other day. And we had nine kids show up. Even though four, I think four of them fell asleep pretty much instantly. It was phenomenal. We, we prayed from 12.30 to, uh, to 2.30 in the morning. Or 1232, something like that. Anyway, I had, had some conversations that week of people who talked about Jesus, but they didn't get it. And my prayer that night that was just a burden on my heart is that this church, the family of God, would understand what we've been saved from. Todd Cravens this morning, the pastor here at Hope Church, talked about the holiness of God. We're never going to understand it. But do you understand it a little bit? (laughs) Understand holiness a little bit goes a long way. I mean, do you understand what you've been saved from? Do you have any clue who God really is? I think about, man, I think about uh, invitations when people come and, and, and they, at the end of a service, just went to a youth rally and they're like, all right, everybody, bow your head and close your eyes. I'm not saying do it, but this you know, this is what happens at the end of the rally. And they're like, all right, now I'm going to ask you to do something courageous. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you've never given your life to Christ and you want to pray a prayer. And it's funny because I'm thinking about that, and I'm like, what if Jesus did that when he called Matthew and James and John? <laughs> it's like, all right, guys, you're out here fishing, but I want you to do something. Bow your head, close your eyes. <laughs> and I'm going to ask you if you want to follow me, say this prayer, and then follow me. It would be funny, right? I'm not making fun of churches. That's where I come from. I'm not making fun of churches that have that kind of invitation. But I am sending out an invitation for you to repent because the kingdom of God is here. Just like Jesus was preaching, just like John was preaching before Jesus came. I'm not asking you to bow your head and to to close your eyes and, and come up here to the front. I'm asking you, if the kingdom of the power of God has not been released, has not been unleashed in your life, if you don't know Christ, I hope every single one of us who do in here would be not only willing but thrilled to invite you into the kingdom. And Christians, tap in or tap out. Tap in or tap out. Jesus told the church in Revelation in Laodicea, he said, there's no riding the fence. There's no being lukewarm. He said, you're either here, you're with me, or you're against me. No more straddling the fence. And I'm asking you, Christians, tap in or tap out. Because he told those people, he said, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth because you're lukewarm. I want us to think. I want us to think so uh, real in our lives. About who God is, who Jesus Christ is. And I want us to do the best we can to understand with the grace that He has given us to understand with. And we're about to celebrate communion. And what that means is that we in our lives are celebrating the power of God unleashed victory over death and he does it like this he takes the bread the last supper with the disciples and he says this is my body that i'm going to lay down for you and he breaks the body and he says i want you to take a piece of it and i want you to eat it in remembrance of me and then he does the, he he pours the juice and he says, this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Celebrate that, I'm give, that that through my sacrifice, death has been conquered. The Bible says that if you don't know Christ, if you're not sure about who God is, let it pass. Don't worry about it. But if you are not going to participate in communion with us tonight, I'm imploring you like Paul and other writers of the authors in the Bible did. I'm inviting you. I'm Please, as I stand here as a witness, Jesus Christ is real. He's so real. He's the Savior of the world. He's an almighty King. Think about who he is in your life. And I hope tonight he's real to you. You at least want to say, all right, I'm going to follow him. But for those of you who know Christ, who've been set free, who've been saved, this is our time to celebrate. This is our time to participate in communion. And remember that he sacrificed his body for us, that he gave, uh, that he bled on a cross for us. So let's celebrate. I'm going to pray for us. Father, I'm going to ask tonight for people to be risky. Stop living safe and comfortable. Walking with you, God, there's no potential that we can reach that's high enough, Lord. You say, you tell us to be perfect because you're perfect. So Father, help us not to settle. Let us not be content with where we're at. Let us take the time we need submit ourselves to you, God, so that your grace and your power can be poured through us to influence so many people's lives, to declare that you've conquered death and sin. And as we celebrate that tonight, God, may every one of us who know you be just proud and humbled at the same time Proud to celebrate who you are, that we've been saved, but so humble that we understand what you had to go through, and it's only by your grace that we could be saved. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice, and for the cross, for your body and your blood. Tonight, we worship you.
2: Genesis is a ministry of Hope Christian Church. We invite you to find out more by visiting our
0: website at genesisthejourney.com.